I want to welcome you to the Love First podcast. This evening, we're going to open a conversation about disabilities, disability rights and advocacy, and the personal and family experiences that shed light on how we as a people, a church, and as a nation can be called to love people with disabilities in a revolutionary way. But after we recorded this podcast earlier in the week, we emerged to scenes on social media and network news of systemic racism crushing the life out of another black man. George Floyd lay face down in the pavement, heaving and begging for breath for nearly eight minutes under the knee of white Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. There are no sufficient words. There is no one expression of grief. And though I have no adequate words for it, I will not ignore it. While so much has slowed down during COVID-19, racism has not slowed its deadly assault. It's time for a tsunami of social, legislative, political, and spiritual pressure to rise up and take down racism from Main Street to Wall Street, from our house to the church house to the White House. It is time to rise up united and demand in light of the sacred value of human life to systemically and systematically destroy every vestige of racism in all its nefarious forms. I am white. I am not black. And I do not know what it means to be black, jog black, walk in a park black, sleep black, drive, work, go to church black. It is not my desire to add to the trauma that black Americans are already bearing but if racism is to be destroyed, it must come from the white people in this country. We must make this right. We must repent. We must take up the anti-racist fight, rooting it out of our own lives, our own homes, our own churches, schools, courts, communities, law enforcement, and workplace. Our culture teaches us to focus on one thing at a time and to create binary intersections to control thought allegiances, and decision-making of the populace. But the church is taught by Jesus Christ to see the bigger picture of the systems that influence outcomes, and he calls us to see humanity in all of its fullness. So as we explore disabilities this evening and how we love and include and engage people with disabilities and their families, ask yourself, how does this conversation speak into the larger call of God to love, include, and engage all people with revolutionary love, equity, dignity, and humanity? Thank you for joining us for the Love First podcast this evening. Love first, I know. my
One of my friends, Phil Woody, posed a question to me about a year ago. He was thinking about what he sees in our church and the advocacy for diversity and inclusion. And we've been friends for decades. So he shot me a text and asked the question, what about people with disabilities? I heard the question and I thought about their story. Uh, I have known Phil and his family for over 22 years. Uh, I know his daughter. I had the privilege of doing his daughter's wedding. Uh, I know his wife, and I know his son, and I knew his son before he had a fall and suffered a traumatic brain injury. I've watched over the many years his son grow up at our church, so I began to put into context his challenge to me, what about people with disability. But what I have to say to you right now transparently is that it did not uh, strike me with urgency. I thought about Phil and his family and just what a beautiful job they do in being family, in caring for each other. I thought about other families in our church, and I thought about intentional ways that people in our church have focused us and our ministries to be inclusive. So why didn't it strike urgency in me? Well, Phil kept feeding the conversation. He kept asking that question. And finally, one day I realized he's helping me step closer to the heart of God. He's helping me step into a conversation that has remained distant in my experience. So, with Phil's help and coaching and gentle persistence, we have found our way to this podcast. So, there's a few things I would like to say at the beginning. As I begin to read and to research, as I begin to watch documentaries, videos, as I begin to pay attention to the things that are happening, current legislation, past denigration, as I begin to understand our local community's relationship with people with disabilities and national and international challenges, as I read through the UN Charter in regard to disability, as I read through UNICEF Charter and updates and proposals in regard to international care for people with disabilities, I realized I have been avoiding and not sensing urgency in a conversation that is about justice and equity and love. So it only makes sense that in the Love First podcast, we would begin to talk about this topic. Now, the language itself, I discovered, is a challenge. Some people think that when you are talking about uh, different struggles in society, different social challenges, that any time that you have to moderate your language or adjust your vocabulary, that it's political correctness or it's a minefield. But I, I don't believe it's either. I believe that any time we begin to discuss the sacred circumstances of another life, the first step is hearing people share with us out of their own experience how they want to be understood, how they want to be seen, how they want to be heard. 
So in the discussions, some people would suggest that you start with the condition, like disabled person. Other people would rather that you start person first, a person with disability. And those actually matter. They're not political correctness. It's not a minefield. It's different ways of expressing really important ideas. When we talk, for instance, about condition first or disability first, then someone is saying, hey, just like you, this is who I am. This is the life I deal with. These are my experiences. So why would I say it in such a way that doesn't include on the front end the full depth of my experience? Other people have suggested person first, that we see people as people, that we don't automatically assume that everything about a human is confined just to a physical or mental or developmental condition that makes it challenging for them to navigate the world that is built for people who do not have the same experience. So what I have chosen to do is I've chosen to use person first. I have chosen to use person or people with disabilities or families with a person who has a disability. But I am not denigrating either, and I'm not shying away from either, and I recognize that no matter which I choose, I recognize that it has the potential to advocate or feel like I am minimizing. So what I want to say first is this. I ask you to join this conversation. Own your place in this conversation. Guide, correct, change, uh, make suggestions about the vocabulary that will help the conversation glorify God. I would ask you to forgive. I recognize that whether it's me speaking or in the next few weeks, others that will be on the podcast with me, it is easy for us to hear what someone says and to begin to imagine why they should have said it differently rather than just trying to hear what someone hopes you will hear. Maybe what we would say is this, we want to find the best intersection possible for intent and impact. And we don't want to just say, well, I meant well, even though the impact was damaging. We also don't want to just say, well, that impacted me in a negative way and judge someone as having negative intent. We want to find a good place for both intent and impact. The other thing I would like to say is this. In the intersectionality of life, what we begin to realize is, is that other areas of the pursuit of justice or trying to rectify injustice will surface. For example, as we talk on this podcast a lot about what goes on in gender injustice, sexism, racism, uh, ethnicity injustice, what we will recognize is some of those same themes will merge into this discussion. So what we sometimes feel like is, well, when you begin to talk about one injustice, that it actually lowers the priority on another injustice. And I would ask us to discipline ourselves not to let that happen. When we talk about disability, then we also need to recognize that genderism, sexism, racism, and the struggle for rights for dis disabled people, it all comes together. That's called intersectionality. 
So sometimes a person with disability will also be facing racism. Sometimes a person with disability will also be facing sexism. So rather than thinking that the discussion of one injustice needs to lower the priority of another injustice, can we not see the intersectionality of these conversations in our pursuit to love in a revolutionary way that is inclusive, just, and brings equity to all people? So I felt like it was important for us to establish this as a part of the foundation of our conversation. Now what I'd like for us to think about is how do our voices play into this conversation? What role do our voices have? Because you see, it might make sense, obviously, for a person with disability, with a disability, to be able to share that person's own story, to be able to share what it's like and to advocate. But what my friend Phil reminded me of immediately is that not everyone with a disability can advocate or articulate for themselves. We also recognize that we might say, well, families with a family member who has disability, their voices must be heard and we will be including them. You'll get to hear them on the podcast in the next few weeks. Someone would say, well, can we not include people from a teaching professions who specialize with people with disabilities? What about the medical profession? Yes, we will include them as well. But you see, what we often recognize is, is that that would mean that we would confine advocacy and care and the struggle for equity and resources to the community that is already bearing the weight. What does it say about people who maybe, maybe, do not have a vis visible disability, who maybe do not know someone with a disability, or even maybe know one person or a few, but like me, had not sensed the urgency, should we not now stand with those who are bearing the weight of this challenge and advocate and educate so that we can come alongside and participate in their journey. So how do we think about our voices joining the conversation? There are many passages of scripture that speak to us raising our voices on behalf of those who are oppressed, but one of the most pointed is in a surprising place. When I mention Proverbs 31, some of you will instantly go to this uh, description of a virtuous woman. But that starts in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. The first nine verses are actually the oracles of a mother who is advising her son who is a king. I'm going to pick up in verse 4. It is not for kings, Lemuel, his mother advises. It is not for kings to drink wine. It is not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprived all of the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. What do you hear for your own life? in her advice. 
Some of us would say quickly, well, see, that's why you shouldn't drink. There's the, there's the argument for not drinking. That's not her argument. Her argument is do not allow yourself to get so intoxicated with your own life that you forget the needs of others, that in your pursuit of what seems fine to you, you are complicit in the injustice that is oppressing others. When we come to the ministry of Jesus, we find something fascinating. Jesus isn't just found by those who have disabilities, like they are the only ones seeking. Jesus seeks out people with disabilities. Yes, there are times when people find out that Jesus has been healing and their family members or into whatever is their capacity, they make their way to Jesus. They might cry out to Jesus, even when their friends or the crowd around them tells them to shut up. They keep crying out, but that's not the only picture. We find Jesus in the synagogue looking to someone who maybe has not come forward and shared what they're going through, their physical disability, but Jesus seeks them out. One of the most famous stories is a woman who had been disabled physically, emotionally, and socially by an issue of blood for over 12 years. The Bible says she just said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed and she does so, but Jesus senses her presence, senses power that went out from him. He stops everything. And one of the most fascinating parts of the story in the Gospel of Luke is this phrase. It says that the woman, seeing she could not go unseen. Some translations, noticing she could not go unnoticed. Jesus refused to look away. If we move on to John chapter 9, we see Jesus coming upon a scene where he meets a man blind from birth. They begin to discuss this man's life, and they ask this question, Well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The theological construct that had become their social construct is that if someone was disabled, that there was some sin that it was the result of it. Maybe it was generational sin, or it was personal sin, that in some way or another, the disability wasn't just a physical challenge, but there was some deeper, mysterious, dark part of their life that had resulted in them being punished in this way. If you Google worst places in the world for disabled people, it will take you to nations where these theologies and these social practices still exist, where people are brutally, brutally treated and sometimes just left for dead by religious people who believe that their physical infirmity is of the same nature that the disciples highlighted to Jesus in John chapter 9. People have all kinds of suspicions, superstitions, and implicit memories that bring about implicit bias. So that when they look at someone who has a physical difference that we are calling in this podcast a person with a disability, when they look at that, then suddenly without them realizing, something begins to function inside of them that dehumanizes that person, that makes them something less than. Well, that can have tragic consequences. 
Even though we have been preparing for this podcast for weeks, and in fact, a few weeks ago, we announced that we would begin a series on disabilities on the podcast. It was this week that a video was released that brought international attention to the tragic death of a young nine-year-old boy in Miami, Alejandro Ripley, who has autism. At first, people thought he was missing. They imagined the worst. There was a story about him being abducted, but then as witnesses came forward and video footage was released, the tragedy took an even greater turn. It was his mother who has now been arrested and charged with murder, 45-year-old Patricia Ripley. At that moment, it seemed like the bottom fell out. It was one thing for us to be thinking that this boy, this boy with autism, we would imagine how fearful it would be to go through all those things and then to find out that no, he was dead and then to find out that it was his mother that took his life. But then, as I made phone calls to friends who have family members with disabilities, who have a son themselves, I began to hear the grief and the tragedy and the pain through their voices as they expressed their heart. And I thought to myself just a few weeks ago, when the world was grabbed, stabbed by the injustice in Ahmad Arbery's murder, when a video was released over 70 days after he was killed, and something happened to us. We were struck with the urgency of justice. It was brought to our attention that this isn't an episode. This is a way that the world has been structured that is destroying lives. And perhaps this video that reveals how Alejandro died will have the same impact, that it will raise for our attention what is happening all the time in the lives of people that are facing disabilities, the stresses, the injustices, the heartaches. And so as we did for Ahmaud Arbery, I want us to take a moment to light a candle and to have a moment of silence for Alejandro. And I would ask you to say his name, Alejandro And I want to light a candle for all of the families who face the challenge of disability every day. But like we did with Ahmad, I want to light a third candle, the smallest. This candle represents my voice. I want, like King Lemuel's mother told him, I want to speak up. I want my voice to be heard in solidarity with people in disability, in defense of those whose rights have been stripped from them, in defense of those who are not giving, being given the access that is right for them as a human. But I have to recognize that this is my voice, that the great voices in this conversation are the voice of God, the voice of those who have disabilities and the families and the advocates of those who every day 
are facing the challenges of those with disabilities. I want to highlight the timing of this podcast. We'd been preparing for this, and we were thinking through how we would sequence a series on people with disabilities in our Love First podcast. But families with family members who have a disability, as well as people who serve those families, stopped and said, no, 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 it's got to happen now. It's got to happen at the end of May, the 1st of June. I said, well, why does that have to happen now? And they said, because our Georgia state legislature is meeting during the month of June to finalize the budget. Well, that took me back in time to January and February when these families and local representatives were already advocating for the families who already don't have enough funding, for whom the access to funding has already been denied. And this was before COVID-19. So now, not only is that funding shelved, but because of COVID-19, across the board budget cuts are being made, and now the system that provides a safety net for these families is being threatened again. So what I begin to realize for myself was this. When I start thinking about advocacy, I honestly, transparently, where do I normally begin? With myself. What do I ask? Watch. Ready? What can I do? Does that resonate with you? How many of you have seen something and thought, what can I do? What can I do? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the first question. Because the what can I do means that I would center the conversation and the advocacy and the urgency and the particulars of the need in my own experience. Rather than turning to people with disabilities families with family members with disabilities, people who serve in this community and with this community every day and asking, what is the need? Where do we advocate? How do we advocate? What is the most pressing need? Because you see, when we start thinking about love, justice, mercy, and equity, it can't start with me. It has to start in the experience of the person that I honestly want to join on their journey. That's why we're doing this right now. When we step into this conversation and begin, like King Lemuel, to speak up, to actively advocate, to determine to defend, what immediately became apparent to me is what I know is a raindrop. What I don't know is the ocean. But all around me are people who are living in that ocean. And it's not that they're inaccessible to me. They are accessible. The research is inaccessible. It just meant that I had to find within myself 
the spark of urgency to step into this conversation. Sometimes people will think to themselves, well, why do you care about this? Why do you care about the rights of people who are disabled? Or why do you care about the rights of black and brown people? Why do you care about sexism or genderism? And suddenly it, be, it begins to be a conversation like this. Oh, well, it must be because you have someone in your family or someone in your church or you met someone or something happened. You do understand it doesn't have to be any of that. I'm going to say something. And I'm going to speak straight to my sisters and brothers in Christ. Jesus is enough. The fact that he cares is enough because he's our leader and we follow him into the heart of God's mission. You don't have to wait for some circumstance to lead you into this, some video of someone getting murdered, some video of the horrible, tragic death of a nine-year-old. It doesn't have to take that. Jesus is enough. He can lead us to where the heart of God is. He can lead us to where our hearts need to be. He's enough. That's why we're doing this, because Jesus leads us there. So when we begin to avail, our, uh, avail ourselves to what's accessible, we begin to discover some questions that we will include in our conversations. What is a disability? What language do we offer when we talk about disabilities? How do we find out from people with disabilities what is important and how we can participate? I think this is helpful when we discuss what, uh, how we imagine our care, like as a citizen of the world. The UN writes it this way. In order to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Developmental Goals, the world must address issues that affect the most vulnerable populations, including people living with disabilities. Now, did you hear that? When we think about vulnerable populations, our mind might immediately drift to people who are uh, under-resourced with food, people who don't have access to clean water, people who are experiencing health care injustice. We might quickly go there, and we should. But what the UN is saying is, understand that in those vulnerable communities, there's another massive vulnerable community, people with disabilities. So you say, we've got to make sure we provide food. Did you provide it in a place that a person with a disability can access it? We've got to provide uh, pure water. Great. Did you provide it in such a way that a person with disabilities can access it? So when it came to the medical testing in regard to COVID-19, you might remember on the front end, people started talking about, well, what about drive-up testing? It seemed to provide some measure of social distancing, some safety for the people that were applying the testing, receiving the testing. So you drive up, you roll down your window, you wear a mask and gloves, they wear a mask and gloves. But very quickly it was noted, well, that only works for some people. Because what if you have someone who cannot drive up? So Dr. James Hildreth, himself an epidemiologist, president of Meharry Medical School in Nashville said, we've got to set up testing places where people can either walk up or if they don't have ambulatory skills, the person caring for them can wheel them up or bring them for the testing. You see, what it automatically said was, 
Uh, yeah, hey, we need testing. For whom? Who was in your line of sight when you thought of testing, when you imagined it? When you thought, yay, all the testing problems have been solved. Did you have people with disabilities in your sight? Were they in your imagination? You say, well, no, but they are now. Well, then how would that change? What you imagined would be loving, just, merciful, and show equity. Well, we'd, we'd have to provide a different kind of testing, right? Or a different kind of food distribution, or a different kind of security, or a different kind of fresh water. In the history of our own nations, disability rights has been a slow, painful process. You might say, well, we've kind of hopefully moved on from the brutal asylums and, and from the institutions that kind of just warehoused humans. We'll actually get to some of that in the coming weeks. But yes, by the tremendous efforts of disabled people and advocates, yes, a lot of progress has been made. But you do understand that our first Disability Act was in 1973, and then 1975, and then 1990, and then 2008, ratified in 2009. You realize that even when 168 nations signed a Global Disabilities Act, less than 50 of them have followed through on the very uh, 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 actions that they ratified? That in 2010, still bus systems and train stations in different parts of the world that signed on to the Global Disabilities Act still did not have any wheelchair accessible ramps to their trains and public transportation. 2010. You say, well, I didn't know that. Well, neither did I, because what I know is a raindrop. But I know people who are helping me access the ocean. And so now, when I see in my own city people beginning to talk about building certain green spaces, places that people can enjoy themselves, that families and individuals can find relaxation, now I will always be asking, is it for everyone? What about our train stations? And this comes home to our own church. Because in this church, where we desire with all of our heart to love first and aspirationally to be a place of inclusion and equity, one of the things that we discovered from our families who have family members with disabilities is that we are not accessible. That our building was not built to be accessible. How did we go all these years and not notice it? How did we go all these years and look away? How did we go all these years and just imagine that our families with family members with disabilities, our members with disabilities were apparently navigating just fine? Well, see, that's the process of transformation. When Scripture teaches us that through Christ, there can be redemption, reconciliation, and recreation and renewal. 
It means that the world as God intended it to be is in the process of being renewed. Paul tells us that it's like this process of groaning as we evolve into what God intended us to be. How could we claim to be the people of God who are evolving into what we are supposed to be when we are turning away from the world's largest minority, people with disabilities, where the intersectionality includes... Every hue of skin, gender, ethnicity, economics. How could this not be a unifying call to love? So what do we do? Well, as we've mentioned in the podcast, we educate and advocate. We seek opportunities to grow. You see, one of the things I realized from the Lord is that when I realize an area of my life that I'm not what I ought to be, He has a word for it. It's called repentance. It's not a word I need to run from. It's a word I need to embrace. It literally means, what am I going to be after I think differently? That's what the word repentance means. It means, who am I going to be when I no longer think like I used to think? How will I have a transformation in my thinking that will lead to a transformation in my life? How will my mind be renewed through education so that when I advocate, I will be advocating with those who are living the challenge that I'm learning to care about like Jesus cares about that challenge. In one of the documentaries that my friend Phil sent me, a camp counselor from a camp for people with disabilities, talked about his first day of volunteering. He said, I signed up as a volunteer at this summer camp for people with disabilities. I really didn't know what I was getting into. In fact, I didn't know anyone with a disability. When the bus arrived at the camp and stopped, I stepped on and I was not ready for what I saw. I froze. But someone else came on and pushed me forward to get moving, and that push propelled me into the summer experience, changing my perspectives and changing my life. My friend Phil brought me to a place where I said to Jesus, I need a push. Through Phil, through others in our church, I've been given a push. I'm hoping that as we devote this Love First podcast for the next few weeks to people with disabilities, it will be a push for you. I hope tonight was a push for you. But I hope that that shift in perspectives isn't wrapped around one heartbreaking experience. Yes, we are mourning the loss of nine-year-old Alejandro. And we are mourning with families for whom those disabilities and that tragedy are a 24-7 reality. Yes, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than just a moment where Ahmad Arbery's murder evokes within us this tragic sense of heartache, which leads us to 
run with Ahmad, donate to a, a, an organization that fights for justice. Yes, do those things, but there's got to be a life repentance, not just a situational repentance. It's got to be more than mourning for one person. It's got to be mourning for the way I have lived and how our society has lived in regard to people that live under the oppression of our social norms. So as we close this first installment of this podcast, the first thing I would ask you to do is to add in the comment section resources you're familiar with, questions, corrections, and comments that you feel like would be helpful for advancing this courageous conversation so that it can revolutionize the way we love. But I want to close with some voices of people with disabilities from some of the documentaries and TED Talks, books, and research that I have had the opportunity to participate in. The first one, I think, is powerful. A young woman says, even when we were young, we knew we were being sidelined. We didn't want to sideline anyone. We knew it was important to listen. Here's what I want you to picture. This is a person with disabilities acknowledging how she had been sidelined. Now, with others who have disabilities, realizing she doesn't want to sideline anyone there either. And in the spectrum of disabilities, it was easier for some people to advocate for themselves and speak, while others, it was almost impossible to understand what they were saying. And she said this, we knew it was important to listen Just with some people, it took more time to hear what they were trying to say. Another man, a man of color, Lionel Woodyard, said, At the camp, we were picked to do things you'd never be picked to at home. When it was time to hit the ball, you had to go up to bat. But when we left the camp and we went home, We weren't just going back to our homes. It was almost like going back in time. I took ideas back home that my community was unfamiliar with. You see, there were things and possibilities that were opened up to him when people, rather than looking at his disabilities for limitations, looked at him with his disabilities and abilities for opportunities. He said, I have friends that I am the only person that they know is a person with a disability. I have had to adapt. I have had to fit into this world that isn't built for me. I want you to think about that. I've had to adapt to fit into a world that isn't built for me. Then what does the Lord require other than to what? Do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God. So what would justice be? Continue to live on, overlooking the fact that the world was built for me, but not for him? Or to recognize that a world built for me actually oppresses him, and justice cries out and says, what about building a world that is equitable for both of us? The purpose of this podcast is to catalyze these conversations So will you join me over the next few weeks in these conversations? Will you like, subscribe, and share? So that rather than turning away, people can realize that we see them, we hear them, 
We include them and we believe that they have an ocean to teach us. But first I know